0: Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Insurance Tomorrow, a podcast brought to you by me, Nick Huer, and Allianz. Now, in this series, we discuss some of the most important global trends impacting businesses in the months and years to come and exploring how they might affect the insurance industry. If you've missed any of our other discussions on topics like autonomous vehicles, drone technology, or AI, You can listen now on your normal podcast app. Now, today, we have a Bieber special. Three of our Allianz senior board members discuss some key trends and topics which are to be covered at the Bieber 2019 conference. Joining us for this are Simon McGinn, General Manager, Neil Clutterbuck, Chief Underwriting Officer, and finally Graham Gibson, the Chief Claims Officer. Our first topic is cybercrime a subject we've covered in detail in a previous episode but one which has only gained further interest and media coverage indeed in recent months according to research from the center for strategic and international studies cybercrime now costs an estimated 600 billion US dollars a year worldwide up from 445 billion dollars in 2014 Data privacy and protection is one of the key cyber risks and customers are now more aware than ever about how their data is allowed to be used and stored. With cyber breaches in the news and big names such as British Airways and Facebook falling victim, the risk of a cyber incident to businesses, especially when not insured, can be costly, not only from a financial aspect, but also reputationally.
1: It's a growing risk for all businesses, both big and small. And I'm not sure how well The industry is actually responding at the present time. If you look at the Alliance Risk Barometer, it's joint first in terms of the sorts of risks that businesses are facing. Okay, those will be um, given the nature of the business, asking the questions. Big businesses, but I think it applies to everybody. And increasingly, I see from um, brokers demands and questions about what's the Alliance response to this. Um, You know, how are we able to satisfy the the questions and demands that are emerging from the marketplace? And I'd just be interested in both of your views as to how well do you think the industry more generally and we we are responding to this particular threat and, and indeed what do you see as the threat?
2: Well certainly I think you know from my perspective it's a massive threat to our customers if you look at some of the statistics that are, are flowing through at the moment I think we've seen somewhere in the region of over a 10-year period you'd expect NatCat to cost the industry about 200 billion over the same period it's, it's up to about 600 billion in terms of cyber so you can see the orders of magnitude and how much they are increasing simultaneous to that we look at sort of systems outages and the effect that that's having in terms of business interruption some of the data that I've read suggests that outages are up by about 138 percent so technology reliability and the threat of malware and virus and the likes are definitely up there to the second part of your question is the industry doing enough about it I think that's a debatable point yeah at the moment from from what i can see one of the key challenges the industry faces is how it quantifies the aggregation of risk and how it ensures that what it provides is not only a sensible level of protection to meet our clients needs but also one that the insurance industry itself can support and sustain and it's trying to walk that line at the moment and i don't think as an industry we've quite got there yet
1: yeah and do do you think we our customers' needs are particularly well understood because one of my concerns is that what you end up with is a buying of a blanket cover. And whether or not that indus- that, that particular customer actually needs the extent of cover being sold or offered may mean that um, cu- you know the price means that customers don't buy when perhaps they should and buy some element of cover or they are buying and actually they're buying something that um, I-, I wonder how well it's been... Um, tailored for their actual needs i don't know if you ever have a view on that i think
2: there's a gray area so if i think about the extent to which companies clarify the cover that they would be providing under a normal property damage policy there is that sort of silent cyber cover that's embedded within it and i think one of the key things that both brokers and insurers alike need to do is to bring clarity as to what cover is actually provided within that yeah and then from there it naturally evolves, I think, into a conversation with customers about, well, what additional covers do you need, and to what level, and
1: how can we best protect? Yeah, and Graham, do you, in your space in the claims area, are you beginning to see people trying to um, have cover operate for things that are cyber related, which, which strictly speaking, aren't covered or should be covered by a cyber um, policy?
3: It's interesting in the last 2 weeks I've seen this subject from both sides so both from the alliance side and from the brokers side. So at last week's alliance broker claims forum this was top of the agenda. So brokers were asking what's alliance's position around this and to your point Simon lots of questions about what type of product would be offered. It's quite clear to me that a one size fits all position is not really what our customers are looking for. They're looking for something much more tailored to their own business. Um, at an Alliance group level, we had a presentation on the AGCNS product and what that looks like. And one thing that's very clear to me is this is a very sophisticated issue, and you need sophisticated handling to deal with an attack, whether it be malware or something that's based much more in a sort of phishing exercise.
2: I think it's an evolving position as well because the, the threats that we're seeing, I, wanna cry that that whole cry, um, yeah. malware sort of impact. I mean, the, the losses there and the orders of magnitude were significant. I'm aware of two companies, global logistic companies, where they were quoting losses in the order of $300 million each. And so really getting to that level of understanding, understanding the data that potentially is being targeted or indeed the level of interruption, that can can emanate is really quite crucial. And we're seeing that more and more. So the NHS, for example, has been targeted on a number of instances. And the extent to which certain infrastructures are being targeted as a result, again, goes back to Graham's point in terms of how sophisticated is our understanding of the insured's uh, risk profile, what steps are they taking, are there support that we can provide, and certainly if I think of the AGCS product, in terms of undertaking penetration testing... And really trying to give our customers a level of protection and prevention rather than cure, I think, is really the order of the day with this one. It's very
3: clear to me that the criminals, and let's be honest, these are criminals. They're not doing it for fun. They're doing it to try and get uh, revenue or money from our, our customers. They are sophisticated and they look for points of weakness. And that might not necessarily be our customer it might be a third party to our customer and they're looking for what i would describe as weak entry points so um, anything we can do to help our customer understand really what their technology landscape looks like i think would be beneficial
1: yeah i think that's true and it's really hard isn't it because i mean if, if you're trying to visualize a risk um, it's hard enough for businesses to envisage you know what might lead to my my premises catching fire or leading to a business interruption loss and that's that largely involves sort of destruction or compromising of physical assets if you're in a space where what you're having to try and envisage is well what's the likely risk to my digital profile i think certainly speaking as somebody that wouldn't consider themselves to be particularly digitally literate it's quite hard to do and therefore trying to understand and quantify the size of the risk to your business is is really quite difficult. And I, and I go back to the point I made earlier, you know, in terms of informing you as a customer in your buying decision or your purchase decision, um, it's really quite difficult for us to do. And I, I think, um, you know, it'd be interesting to see some of the tools that emerge in helping people to understand and quantify the, the risk that their businesses really face, which I think is going to be one of the next steps for, for, for brokers and for insurers to try and try and help educate people. And then making sure that we're able to answer the questions that that, that creates.
3: Yeah, that's an interesting point. So we talk about physical risk management. Are we now in a world where you need... Data or cyber risk management, and what does that look like, and what does that
1: feel like? Well, I think it must be. I mean, if you just look at gig economy businesses, they don't have a lot of physical assets. You know, they're they're largely the value in their businesses are based on brand, um, their intellectual property, um, and you know, held somewhere in a cloud. Mm. Um, And if that's compromised or stolen from them, to your point, you know, by thieves, um, then. That makes it very difficult um, for them to, well, makes it impossible for them to operate, and um, I'm not sure whether or not um, um, we understand that fully enough yet, but, you know, we're making steps in that way, which is why it's taking so long for us to to get our product into the marketplace to make sure it's a bit more tailored.
2: Yeah, and, and, and appropriately managed, and we've got the right capital behind it, yeah. and the right... Um, reinsurance and retrocession arrangements standing behind it so that we fully understand and can provide the coverage the client wants i think the other point i'd make is is this the speed at which this this whole picture is evolving I was looking at um, the Internet of Things, and all right, this is in a personal environment, but if we're now entering a world where fridges can effectively undertake your food shopping for you, and you start to apply those same technologies into a commercial environment, and you've got unintended payment activity, for example, going on, or unattended monitoring of systems uh, being undertaken, that data and the value of that data is really quite critical, and how we choose to protect it um, and how we can help customers protect that data is really quite, um, quite fundamental. And it requires almost constant R&D, I think, on the part of insurers and indeed the technology specialists who are developing this.
1: I think it would be a lot healthier if my fridge did my shopping.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Our next topic for discussion is customer expectations in a digital world. With customers wanting more from service providers at the touch of a button, companies are needing to be flexible and forward-thinking in their approach to customer service. From being able to purchase a policy online 24-7, speaking to a chatbot or tweeting to obtain help with a query, the digital technologies which are being used already are vast. So what is the insurance industry doing to embrace this? And how can it and the brokers adapt to future-proof their customer proposition.
3: A couple of months ago, I attended a course which was about digital leadership, and there was lots and lots of very interesting facts and figures, and lots of descriptions about how the world might change. But one of the things that really resonated with me was the term ubiquitous digitalisation. And it basically covered three things. So How do you datify your business? How do you digitalize your business? And by that, I mean removing effectively mainframes and going to a application software ecosystem. And finally, how do you remove the mundane? Which was a very polite way of saying, how do you automate and robotize your business? But here's the kicker. The position around that was if you weren't already doing these three things as a business, you're already dead, you just don't know it. And that was the phrase that was used. And I think it shows very clearly what our customers now expect from us and what it is we have to do. So looking at these three things, uh, datafying your business, I think that's really quite simple in many respects, a very easy thing to say, a very difficult thing to do. And that is about collecting data which is useful not only to Allianz, but to our customers, whether that's improving a proposition, helping a a customer with risk management, it could be a multiplicity of different things. In terms of shrinking mainframes and going to an application software system, well, when we transact with companies like Amazon and Google, that's what you actually see. One of the interesting facts that I read recently is that Google, bearing in mind what they are, do not produce any of their own software. They use other people's software to design and build their business. And then the last point around removing the mundane as much as anything, that's an expenses point, but it's also about doing things quickly and simply for our customers so that there is a very high level of automation. So these three things are something that certainly Allianz need to do as a business. To help
1: and support our customers moving forward yeah I mean I wouldn't disagree with those I, I think what's clear from from our point of view in terms of the broker market piece is just the degree to which the expectations that those people have in you know their personal lives about how they access services are being translated understandably into what they expect when they're dealing with Allianz from a From a broker point of view and I can't imagine it's any different in fact it's probably worse Um, from a broker's point of view into their customer there is going to be that their expectation of immediacy um, the expectation of quality delivery right time first time all the time now we could say that that was always the case before digitalization I just think it's harder to do in in a world where you are um, having to respond so quickly and again you know as an industry I do think we are responding and I do think we are making good strides but um, we're not leading necessarily in this space at the moment I think we are we are responding to what um, the the big um, digital um, organizations across the globe are doing Um, and it's we we start from a difficult place because we have old historic technology and platforms that we're having to try and make work and do things that it was never designed to do Um, but um, I do think that the, the way in which service is changing is, is huge. And I, I don't think I've been through a period in my career where I've seen it change as quickly as it is at this moment in time, which is both exciting and daunting at, yeah. at, the, at the same time. Well, I
2: I'd, I'd agree with that. I think for, for Allianz, we're in a fantastic position. If I think about, to Graham's point, the sort of data the organisation, we have so much data over such longevity that gives us more insight and the opportunity to bring products and services and prices to market that should be able to knock many of our competitors into a cocked hat. The challenge for us, along with many other mature organisations, is how how you harness the power of that. So we as an organisation are investing time and energy in doing that. Because I think it helps drive or helps meet some of the customer expectations, particularly around, well, can you make my customer journey simpler? Can you ask me less questions? Do you not already have a lot of this data? Can you not draw from it? And those are the questions I think as an organization we have to be asking ourselves how we then use technology. And we've got really good examples of bringing in new technology external to the organization that is driving quicker insight and quicker um, underwriting decisions and i think really the opportunity for us is how we fully exploit that and embed it in our processes while removing some of the duplication that we might otherwise see with our brokers
1: yeah and i think that duplication point is is quite critical really because i think the 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 way in which the digital world impacts on our industry is the opportunity well the challenges we've already talked about but the opportunity to remove some of the heavy lifting that just goes around passing information from one party to another party to another party in order to in order to make our product work is is it's possible to remove that and and I think if you remove it it takes a lot of the clutter and process and friction away um and it creates space and the question for me is then what what's what do you replace in that space you know do, do you just take the the additional cost reduction as a benefit to um, the bottom line of either the broker or the insurer? Um, ultimately, that gets competed away in to the customer. Or do you use it to reinvest in the relationship and the value you add back to the to the customer by provision of services, advice, and and helping you know av- avoidance of risk in the, in the first instance? And I, and I think that's that's the exciting space it begins to open up. Um, but it does mean huge change within our own businesses um, and everybody else 's just because of the the way in which we are set up to pass data from one to one part of the business to another I think yeah, that 's a really good point so with the launch of
3: Alliance Notify and the uh, claims hub there 's little doubt that very shortly we will be able to process a claim from start to finish without any human intervention. The question, to Simon's point, is then what do we do with the resource that that releases? Now, I personally don't think it's just bank it and keep it and and we move on. I think there's something very interesting we can do with that in terms of improving the contact with our customers and actually providing a much better claims proposition and not just a straight-through processing no human interaction. I actually think in many respects that would be a backward step. It's about how we redeploy that resource to make the whole experience much, much better for our customers.
1: Yeah, I I think that's bang on because, you know, you you bump into anybody in our industry at events um, and they would say, oh, this is still a relationship business. And... I think that's true. Um, And I think the key is that as you remove some of the interactions that have demanded the relationship because you're sorting out data provision or information provision, you need to replace it um, with something else. And, And I think what digital offers us the opportunity to do is to serve up human interaction at exactly the right point in the process to the customer. Um, or to the broker from an insurer's point of view to make sure that that expertise that can be brought and and that that sort of common experience that's shared between people in in a in a business relationship is is brought to to the fore at the right point to the benefit of the customer and and I think that's that's really really critical because the one thing that I think we really risk as you become a more digitally orientated industry is the risk of commoditization. Um, and the risk of dumbing down and and actually the biggest thing that I think prevents customers from you know buying insurance online through brokers or through insurers is is a lack of confidence in the purchase and what we have to do is is be able to sort of build confidence all the way through that that interaction because it it does a number of things it, it enables the investment in your digital assets to be realized but the other thing it does is it builds the 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 reputation and um, um, credibility of of the industry in the customers' minds. And I do think that's important to have confidence in your providers in in, in a financial services industry.
0: Mental health is a prevalent topic at the moment, and this is a key theme at the Biba 2019 conference. Now, this year, Allianz has launched its three-year partnership with MIND, the leading mental health charity in the UK, and aims to raise £1 million to support the work they do. They are also aiming to help their own staff to be more resilient with wellbeing activities and additional training. So why is mental health in the workplace so important right now? And this is something that the insurance industry as a whole is working on.
2: I think it's a massive topic and it's a very important one and goes very much core to... To, if you like, Allianz's employee strategy. So we talk about ourselves being a people business, and I think we very much believe that. But to live that, we need to recognise that um, you know our people make the difference and how we support them is vitally important. So when you look at some of the statistics, so what is it they say, 40% of people at some point in their life will suffer from depression. One in four people in a 12-month period may suffer from some form of stress. The support that we're able to provide our employees um, is very important in this area. But it's not just our employees, it flows very much into how we think about our customers and the provision that we give to them in terms of the service, particularly at a time, one would argue, of of greatest mental health challenge at times of stress, when businesses have burnt down or accidents have occurred. So I think it runs throughout our business as an ethos.
1: Yeah, I mean, you must see this, Graham, all the time in your claims Yeah, I mean, it's it's something we've been
3: doing a lot of work on recently. I mean, some of the statistics on this is actually quite frightening. So following the floods in 2015, uh, Public Health England undertook a, a study. What it found is that people who had experienced a flood claim were seven times more likely to suffer depression in the following 12 months versus those that hadn't. Now, if you take that into anything that's a traumatic event, You know, whether that be maybe a loss of a close relative or a friend or something of that ilk, I think the same sort of stats apply. So there are always signs and hints that um, somebody might be uh, not feeling at their best, shall we say. And really that's the sort of thing we're looking for to try and intervene and prevent something uh, deteriorating. Because I think there's also very clear stats that show if you for whatever reason have a
1: traumatic event early intervention helps versus allowing it to fester and grow there's got to be all ram benefits as well hasn't there like anything that you do that's good in life you know if we're if we're helping our teams to be able to deal with the stresses and strains that you reference that that's also going to make them much more empathetic in terms of the way in which they you, know, you deal with customers or brokers that have got um, any issues in this space i, I know certainly i sort of sit and listen to calls in our pet business and some of the the people that they're dealing with have huge um, emotional um, issues driven with the the unwellness of their pet Um, and in many ways the teams that we've got there build the brand of pet plan around that empathetic interaction with a customer who not only do they understand the pet but if they've also got a broader understanding of some of the the sort of well-being issues around mental health then then they can play a really important role At to your point Graham at a time of crisis whether it's a car crash or you know an unwell um, pet of some sort so it, it sort of spins off you get yeah. the reputation that helps your business and I think I don't know I, I can't envisage many businesses today with the profile that this has not not starting to think about well what how does it impact us because you'd have to be I've had your head in a in the sand for a while just to um to not recognize that that this is a challenge right across the uk
2: when you think about it it's an integral issue it, it, it affects our customers it affects our employees potentially and therefore as an organization we need to look at mental health end-to-end from our employees perspective how they work the conditions the environment the support we're able to provide them with, and then they, from our customers' perspective, equally become very much attuned to our customers' needs, how we can help them in moments of, if you like, post-trauma of any incident, whatever that might be, and the support that we then provide to them. As we think about mental health, it's also important that we think about it from a proposition perspective and from the products that we deliver to market. So we've got some great examples within our own business where, if you like, um, we build into the proposition from from a, a claims perspective how we can support people in the event of an accident. So from a motor perspective, we've got six sessions, I think, is that right, Graham? From that is right, yeah. In, in terms of psychological counselling post an incident to try and get people back on the road and and to adjust to whatever trauma they may have undergone. Similarly, we have in our uh, employers' liability um, the opportunity again to provide uh, support, something we call employability, which again offers counselling to uh, employees who may have been affected by an incident or accident. So a great example of
3: that, um, a a recent very sad event, the terrorism attack at London Bridge. We provided cover for all of our customers that had been impacted by that through um, psychological assistance. Uh, helping employees of our of our customers coming to terms with
1: what had happened. So all of that's pr- really good. So we've 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 obviously got some clarity about what we're offering customers, how how we deal with that internally, um, and it's it's all sort of helps people deal. With- in a more confident way with the issue of mental health i know from my own experience of going on the course i learned a couple of things and thought about having to do things differently as a result um so so i think it's an interesting topic and i think being able to deal with things um more confidently is, is is just something everybody should have in their armory when it comes to this subject but so what, what do you do then graham you know to de-stress um you don't run around a rugby field anymore so I don't what, what do you around do i don't
3: around a rugby i used to run around a rugby field um What do I do? Well, I quite like uh, being at home, funnily enough. It might sound boring, but uh, with the amount of travelling I do, being at home is actually really good fun. And one of the things that you might not know about me is I really like to cook. So being at home and uh, having the opportunity to cook... Is a great way of just relaxing. And yes, I might have a glass of wine when I'm doing it. I was it. going to say, it's just
1: about the wine. I don't, is it <laughs> any cooking? <laughs> any excuse to open a bottle early. Yeah. What about I'm you? I'm
2: going to be far more virtuous. So, so Joe Wicks is, is, uh, is my way of relaxing. I try and do these high-intensity workouts. Maybe you could remove the word high. Just and you and Joe. Intensity, and it's just sort of a workout or an attempt at one. But um, I think it keeps me sane, but that's open to debate. <laughs>
1: Excellent. What about you? You you haven't told us what you do. I do podcasts for fun. Podcasts. Yeah, I, that's that's my thing. <laughs> I I I go swimming um, when I'm feeling very virtuous, and I swim lots of lengths and um, do that, and um, and then watch my children or other people play rugby. That's my my release. So yeah, all good fun.
0: And with that final important discussion, let's bring this special Bieber episode to an end. My thanks to Simon McGinn, General Manager, Neil Clutterbuck, Chief Underwriting Officer, and Graham Gibson, the Chief Claims Officer. Please subscribe to the series through your podcast app. That way, you'll be sure of never missing an episode, and we'd really appreciate you leaving us a review as well. From me, Nick and Allianz, it's goodbye.